Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works and mental health and mental illness. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. So here we go. Who are you? What is your identity? What does that even mean? Your identity, I guess, is your sense of who you are. Ian, your identity, as far as I can see, you're a professor of mental health. You're a husband, a parent, a sibling. You probably have an idea of what your character traits are, your strengths, weaknesses, what you like, what you dislike, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel bad. You might have a belief system. You might have a moral code. You might be motivated by certain things. Uh, In others, you might value loyalty above everything else or intelligence above everything else or empathy or a sense of humor. Is the accumulation of all those things, all those questions, what we mean by identity? Is it useful to think about identity? What effect does this idea of identity have on our mental health? Uh, Ian, I'd go at describing your identity. How would you describe it? Yeah, I was just wondering, you did all the descriptive things, and I'm thinking, is that who I am? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. Now, I say this because- I'm just me. Yeah, what's me? What's So I do think it's an issue about, it's a really important point because good mental health is associated with a fairly strong sense of identity. Who is me that I take through all the situations that I am? Mm. So I am a professor, I'm a grandfather, I'm a member of my local community, I'm hopeless at a whole lot of other things, <laughs> you yeah. know, We've discussed it. I'm shy. I'm, I'm, I'm a number of things. I have a number of characteristics. What's really annoying, and it happens to me quite often, is people go, oh, your outward thing is you're this sort of professor or you're this kind of doctor, therefore you're like this. I go, no, I'm not. So the, the outward um, display of yes. what people call my social identity or my professional identity, I think, oh, that's not really me. <laughs> you know, that's a very poor representation of me. Yeah. Although I can see how they might have formed that view, you know. But my idea that about That is my interesting, s- isn't it? When someone reflects, oh, you're like this, and you go, no, I'm not. And you think, what have I been putting out? That is a really confronting thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, so in my world, people turn around and go, you're angry, arrogant, irritable, stuck up. I go, oh, that's a bit harsh. It is a bit a bit harsh. I oh. have an idea about myself that's a bit softer than yeah, that, that's, that's a bit right. more empathic than that, that's a bit more emotional than that, but, you know- <laughs> Perhaps that's how I come across. In certain, mm. But it's not what my idea about me is. Well, people can have their identity wrong. Like a, a good example is oh, I've got a great sense of humour and you think, eh, no, you don't. Right. So what the world tells you about yourself, often we have trouble reconciling. Now, come back to my earlier point, one's this sort of personal identity idea. I think we have that about our emotional characteristics and about our place in the world and also about our capabilities. We hold some enduring idea about ourselves that we take across time and we take across situation. And you need to have that. People who don't have that really have very poor mental health. Mm. There are a thousand different things in a thousand different situations and entirely unsure who they are. Yeah. Very bad, very unstable, leads to very poor mental health. Just try and that again is trying to please or fit in or no constancy. So the development of identity, actually through childhood and through adolescence, of a stable kind of idea about yourself, mm. hopefully realistic enough to fit in well yeah. with the social environments, very important to your mental health. bit different, I'd suggest, than people's social identity or, or necessarily what everyone else thinks you are mm. <laughs> on a basis. And 
building a robust identity, a stable identity across childhood and across adolescence and early adult life is a really fundamental developmental task. I used to describe your 20s as being like a buffet. Like you go around, you try everything, and you try and like everything. So if your friends are into something, rock climbing, yeah, great. Going to see bands, great. Yeah, no, I like that. You don't really, you know, you're not really honest yourself about whether you do like it. You just go and do it because your friends are probably your teens too. And then as you get older, you get more of a sense of who you actually are and what you actually like, and you can be a bit more discerning. Yeah, so you've raised an interesting issue, premature closure. Premature closure? On your identity. All right. <laughs> if you decide at 15, oh, a- I'm hopeless, right? I see. The only thing I can ever do in life is X. Yep. Uh, because up to this point, I haven't been very successful in the social world. I'm not well liked. I've never been able to play an instrument or create anything or I'm hopeless at maths or something. You know, people, you see in adolescence, sort of premature closure, mm. right, down on not what you were just described in the optimistic kind of view. Going to need to try a few identities on here and see how it goes, yeah. you know, to experiment with a bit outside the comfort zone yeah. of what you've already known, the identity which is not necessarily that which has been acquired inside your family or inside your small protective social group, but that one, one you're going to, you know, see out there in the wider world what you could be, mm. you know, what actually is possible to find uh, more layers a more complex identity that you can take with you i mean it comes to the reality as we get into midlife and move on <laughs> become more aware of exactly what we're no good at <laughs> you know but also what identities I mean, don't work isn't know? it wonderful when you or you see someone else kind of you know drifting around for a while and not really sure who they are what should they do they be doing and then they find something and it's clear there's a great match there. And, you know, maybe with you in psychiatry, I don't know. But, and there's a connection and suddenly they have a strong sense of their identity. Yes. So I think the task of – glad you raised that. I think the task of early adulthood distinct from adolescence is exactly that. Looking for that. Is actually looking for the match between the internal thing that you think you are, that you're most comfortable with, is the recognition you are, and the environment in which that might prove to be most productive. Mm. One of the great things at the moment about our extended post-school educational opportunities, (laughs) don't rush to get a trade, stay out there looking for other stuff for as long as you can, is this potential. You know, people need to find a really good fit. Yeah. They need to find a good fit in the sort of social world. They need to find a good fit in the professional world or other areas, you know, rather than being narrowly constrained in a particular profession, education, career in a way that never allows them to find a good – the unhappy. (laughs) I'm going to be an unhappy ex for the rest of my life. And it can have a knock-on effect, can't it, if you find that thing that – gives you a strong sense of identity and you feel like this is what I should be doing. It builds your confidence and your self-esteem and it might, you know, lead to helping you socially and in things that are that are entirely unconnected from that job or whatever it is. It gives you that sense of uh, identity. It, it's like a What's it, what's it? Raising the, you know, raising the barge by, it raises everything up. The tide. It's the rising tide. Right, it's lifted it. everything. Yeah, you the rising bet. tide. It's the rising tide. It's lifted everything. I think it's true. I mean, you made an interesting comment about me, which I've just stopped to think about along the way. Um, <laughs> as just a med- pause here. Yeah. At a point. At <laughs> a point. As a medical professional, I could have been, like my dad was a cardiologist. I could have tried to be something else. I could have done something else. And I could have done it. But I don't think I would have. Yeah. 
found what I have found in psychiatry, which I think is a much better fit between me, or at least my idea about me, and the daily work that I do. Mm. So that, you know. So, what, what <laughs> I'm could a you much- have become a surgeon or something? Oh, well, you know, in the medical profession, Let's just say there are lots of other careers, yeah. and some of them have higher status, higher pay, yeah. better respected, more resources, you know, less contentious it's social world. It's easier to fix a leg than a head. A lot more, yeah. I remember, I think I've told the story before, standing in an operating theatre when I was a young doctor with an orthopaedic surgeon mm-hmm. at three in the morning replacing an elderly hip. Yeah, right. And I said to the guy who did the operation, I said, really? <laughs> After all this education, this is carpentry, it's simple. Ooh, There's not a lot of thought. How to pick a fire? He went. In the he went profession. exactly. He went. You're kidding. This is great. You don't have to think about it. You can do it. It's fabulous. Right. And not only that, this old woman will be up in the morning and her life will be saved. What is the? What is your problem? <laughs> but you know, he was well suited. He was well suited to that job. Mm. He was perfectly happy. He was a pig in mud. Yeah. And I was unsuited. Yeah. You know, to that job. But you know, important. And that probably ate away your confidence and your sense of self. And you know, I gotta say, that. some of my best friends are orthopedic surgeons. I go, I love them. They do all sorts of good things for me all the time. You know, but finding that match, so you see people are happy. Now, I mean, classic one. Raise you here, James. Lots of young kids who are bright being told they should be doctors or lawyers. Bad trade. <laughs> you know, but they do it. Status, family expectation. There's a poor match. Yeah. They're poorly suited to it. Their identity doesn't grow. It doesn't mature. It doesn't raise them up yeah. over time. So the development of identity is constantly happening. I mean, my identity is changing right now. Grandparent. <laughs> yeah, that's Aging. right. I'm thinking, hang on. Well, that's not me. Well, it is me. You know, I'm transitioning in that kind of through opportunity into another phase of identity. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about changing your identity. Is your identity something you discover? I found out more about me. Or is it something you create? I want to be like this. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be uh, more confident. Discover or create? Bit of both. Yeah, starting, I'm going to take the sequence here. Need to start with temperamental characteristics you've got. Yeah. Right? So if you are shy and anxious and and somewhat avoidant of new experiences and other particular things, that's a problem. That's going to be a limiting uh, factor for you. Mm. But if you know that and you know the way to do that, you're going to have to expose yourself. You're going to have to go and try things. You're going to have to do it in order to build those other things, right? Yeah. So I think understanding the temperamental characteristics you've got to then go and look at, okay, okay, (laughs) what other experiences do I need to have to build Mm. This more complex thing. So your identity isn't just your intrinsic characteristics. It's also what you do, you know, and then a rec- recognize yourself. Well, I can do that. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. I can form relationships. I can be a stand-up comedian despite being anxious, you know, being subject to sensitive to criticism. I, you know, they may sound incompatible, but boy, that's a whole lot better than being a lawyer I don't want to be, <laughs> you know, or be known as that particular thing and locking your identity into certain kind of things. I mean, being constrained by that in in ways that you don't want to be. So I think there's a Again, de- developmentally, a sequencing, and this is where parents and others are really important, is to recognise the kind of characteristics your kids have and then promote, okay, what sort of identity works with that? Mm. <laughs> you know, what's the best way that given those sets of uh, emotional and temperamental characteristics a kid has, what's the sets of experiences from which they can benefit from? What's, what's the most productive and stable identity they can build in association? You know, <laughs> I don't think you've ever been one, James, but 
I have seen the odd parent standing on the side of a sideline at a kid's sporting game. Yes. You know, you too could be Ronaldo. You too could be Lionel Messi. <laughs> you too, you know, could be, I don't know, Tiger Woods or something. I don't know, you know, but no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, parental stuff that just goes wrong right. in terms of what the parent would like their kid to be or what they want it to be or whatever the hell mm. is in their head. Yes. But it's so unsuited to the actual characteristics mm. of their kids. It ain't helping. And it's quite well, un- unhelpful, destructive, you know, in building this sort of stable yep. identity for life. Is identity something we should think about? I mean, it kind of seems like a series of labels we attach to ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm shy, I'm good with people, I'm not good with making things or whatever. Is it useful to every now and again, you know, it's almost like an audit, audit our identity and and perhaps identify things we want to keep trying to change? Yes. Mm. So throughout life, I think yes. And there are different challenges, different stages of life. So I think people do get a bit stuck at times. Well, that's it. I got to 40. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. Yeah, Can't yeah. do anything else. Yeah. It's all downhill from 25 here. years to retire. It's retirement. all downhill down here. Yeah, you know. I love meeting in my current life, you can tell this, 70-year-olds and 75-year-olds who are out developing new skills and doing new things in good health and, you know, enriching, working with what they've had for the previous 70, but they're working on actually improving it and making it better and Mm. doing stuff they now have the time or the wealth or the opportunity to do that that is challenging. You know, it's, it's actually not shutting down. It's actually continuing to kind of look at where they might go. Yeah, in a in a wider way, and it really, and I say this again from a straight mental health point of view, what a productive, good thing that is to be doing, despite other bits, you know, musculoskeletal bits, the odd joint doesn't work. Who cares? <laughs> you know, despite how arthritic my hands are, who cares? I'm going to paint, you know, or do some things that I never had the opportunity to do before due to life circumstances and many other commitments. So yeah, and I think challenging, and I think also reflecting on the. Uh, what's that marvellous expression? Taking a few barnacles off the bottom of the boat. Mm. <laughs> you know, we've all acquired certain characteristics <laughs> over time. Yes. And uh, there's always the opportunity for a bit of um, cleaning up. <laughs> and, and, of course, if people do, you know, audit their identity and think, okay, I want to change this, uh, maybe have a listen to our episode on how we change. We do change. Yeah. So identity – I. I Identity and, and aspects of that personality, then they've got certain enduring characteristics and they should be stable, but they're not fixed. Mm. You know, so <laughs> self-improvement stuff. You know, I think ideas that people have about what they can't do are really, really, really interesting. Yes. <laughs> you got to go, wait. Also, you raise an interesting one when people say, you know, I've got a great sense of humour and you go, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, or I'm a really warm and engaging person. No, you're not. You're not. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's, <laughs> you know, within the bounds of reasonable expectation, what is it that you would like to, you know, where, where are the things where you've got real strengths but you could go further? Yeah, that's right. So if you're prone to bouts of bad mental health or mental illness, is that part of your identity or should you see something that as – you know, like a broken leg. It's, having a broken leg is just something that happened to me. It's not part of who I am. This is a hugely contested area mm. in mental health. So there are those who are up the, what you just said, it's an illness like every other illness. Yeah. I am me. Me just happens to have severe anxiety, OCD, depression, bipolar disorder, but I'm me. 
So I think there's been a lot more in recent years recognition of that. And a lot more of that is expressed by people with their own experiences of these particular things. It does not define me. Yeah. On the other hand, there's been a lot of concern that how do you incorporate the experiences that you're having into your life? How do you understand your own vulnerability? How do you actually do it? Now, without becoming that identity, mm. <laughs> you know, not to end up defining your life by it, mm. but to recognize the aspects of it that are you. You know, it's not entirely alien either. Well, you know. anxiety is a good one. Depression's maybe a bit trickier. But with anxiety, you think, okay, I am someone with a predisposition to anxiety. I worry about things. That means I'm good at planning. It also means that sometimes I'm jumping at shadows. Yeah. Mm. Or you are a person who's prone to bouts of depression. You don't quite know why, but it affects your it affects what you do at times. It changes your perception of yourself and other people. You are a person who gets things out of proportion at times, thinks people are against you in particular ways. You are a person who's overly preoccupied with lists or orders in ways that drive other people mad. You know, like kind of mm. understanding and without saying, you know, oh, that's not me. It is <laughs> you know? Yeah. It is. It actually is part of who you are. It doesn't define who you are. You're not going to be called an illness. Yeah. But, but understanding where you can go, what you can do, what the – what the upside of some of those experiences is, mm. you know, what can be uh, understandable, what sensitivities that go with that, particular issues that go with that, and how to incorporate that into what you do, you know. So, you know, this is a really important idea because, you know, in the world I'm in, people have been accused of creating new identities around the experience of mental illness. Not the old ones by just what illness you had, but creating a different kind of experience of, an impaired life, a restricted life. No, I oh. can't do that. No, I can't do that. Oh, because can't I have that. this. Because I got this. Because I got this. And everything. Oh, hang on a second. This could. This could. This could restrict. So a lot of the work where Become I'm involved. Self-fulfilling. Yeah, self-fulfilling. So a lot of work I'm associated with with young people and early onset of mental health problems and early intervention all to be much promoted. You know, often runs into the critique. Are you actually now creating a dysfunctional identity around that thing? To which I would say, no, 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 that's not the goal at all. But I can see where the critique is coming from. Well, um, on that critique, uh, possibly people of all ages, but I would say particularly people in that identity-forming stage of their teens, who am I, what sort of a person am I, isn't there sometimes an association between mental illness and uh, illness and particularly depression? Who am I? I just did something bad. I'm a bad person. I'm too scared to do this. I'm a scared person. And it goes round and round. And all that thinking about identity can actually exacerbate feelings that might push you into a bad state mentally. Yes. <laughs> Mm. Short answer. Good. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is the also over introspective, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then incorporating wrong information into that information that is distorted and ignoring other things. Yeah. Okay. I did that and I, I was scared of that. And you kind of ignore the fact that the day before you did something that was quite brave. Yeah. So, the selective incorporation of bad information to yeah. become that identity in particular ways. Lots of kids who've had very poor experiences, very bad experiences in childhood, talk about the way they've incorporated into their identity what they assumed was happening as to why they were being treated badly. 
they must have been because a bad, bad. bad yeah. kid. I'm a dis- undesirable person. I'm mm. in some way deserving of this. And they built it into their identity and that dysfunctional identity then runs with them into other relationships, into other particular areas. I deserve to be beaten up. I deserve to be bashed. Yeah. I deserve to be abused in some way or other. I don't really know how, why. It's no, not rational, but I have incorporated it into my identity. Yeah. And, and so that pattern repeats in their 20s and 30s. People who feel I mean, it might be I I'm not I wasn't deserving of love from my parents because my parents treated me badly so there must have been a reason therefore I'm not deserving of love from anyone. Yes, mm. I bought this on myself. Right. So so, so then how do you prevent that? You know, if we're saying that having some idea of your identity is a good thing and can be uh, a template from which you can evolve and grow and work on on weaknesses and change things you don't like, how do we evolve that? How do we avoid that sort of cognitive dysfunction in creating it, That those logical errors um, that you've been describing? So here's the challenge. Just a, just a quick answer, please. <laughs> right. So if we can just get the first 25, minus nine months to 25 right, if we can just yeah. get the development of identity right, so you end up with this, robust but flexible and yeah. enduring positive identity that's actually reflects your real characteristics going forward, that'd be easy. But, you know, it often does go wrong. It often yeah. does go wrong in particular ways. People incorporate wrong information. People have very adverse experiences. The social world during identity development has put in very abnormal inputs mm. <laughs> into that and therefore corrupted, if you like, the development of that identity. And that identity in its dysfunctional form or its very loose forms is therefore carrying you know, problems throughout the rest of life. Hence why we put such a huge emphasis on, you know, positive parenting, positive social experiences, warm and engaging relationships while you're developing Mm. (laughs) your identity and why that really does matter uh, as to the emotional environment in which you develop because you're going to develop an identity. You're not going to arrive with no identity. (laughs) You're either going to have a very unstable, dysfunctional, you know, you're going to be on some spectrum and trying to push it up towards positive. Now, also the reason I say that is you might just see that as a family or parental thing. I see that much more as a social thing, things like schools, wider social groups, cultural groups you're part of. So the part of identity isn't just me in relation to my parents or my direct siblings or something. It's a very narrow thing. It occurs in a wider social kind of setting. Mm. So I also think an important influence here relatively undiscussed is sort of social identity or cultural identity. Yeah. Like where do you fit in, not just to your family of origin and those key intimate developmental relationships, but a broader sense of who you are. And we see, of course, in dispossessed groups. So we've seen this in, in the First Nations people across the world and other dispossessed groups, the really terrible impacts of loss of that wider identity. <laughs> you don't know who you are, where you're from, where you came from, or where you fit in. Mm. not just in your own family, not just in a wider sense. Again, in a positive way, when people have that, have a strong sense of where they come from, where they are, where they're attached to, of being part of a bigger thing, they tend to have very good mental health. Do they? Yes. Why are you so – look, if only we were on a visual thing and people could see your physical (laughs) look, what is he talking about now? I don't know. It's just never resonated with me. I know it does resonate. No, come on. You tell me in about every third conversation you come from Canberra, you grew up there, 
And you well, tell me about a life growing up there. I talk about growing up near Bondi Beach or mm, somewhere true, else in a particular true. way. I have a strong sense when I'm away from Australia, despite my many criticisms of some aspects of Australian <laughs> cultural life. I love it when I get home. I love yeah. it when I find myself back on an eastern beach or uh, whatever else where the sun comes up over the water. And, you know, strong sense of, you know, disorientation in other parts of the world, but a strong sense of being home, a place of stability, and a strong sense of other cultural kind of traditions. Now, I guess I've just seen so many of those collective identity things being used as an excuse to make wildly generalised, non-evidence-based uh, uh, motherhood statements like Australia likes a fair go. Australians like a fair go. Do we do we like a fair go more than the French? Do we like a fair go more than the Peruvians? Has anyone ever, you know, tried to collect some data on that? I mean, it's just crap, I think. Good. I mean, probably we everyone found likes something. a fair go. We it's found not something us more than anyone else. We found something we equally hate. Yeah. Australia makes the best cars. Yeah, yeah. Australia yeah. has the best health system. Australia does it. Yeah. I'm proud to be Australian. Yeah. yeah hang on a second. Can we just hold it right there? <laughs> you know, they're cultural myths. Yeah, right. So that's not what you're talking about. You know, they're the Coke and Pepsi ads yeah. of Australia. <laughs> they're the shrimp on the Barbie. Yeah. You know, where the bloody hell are you ads? I mean, does this represent us? No, and I think no. there's a cultural corruption of our identity. Now, there are some things, and I think it's interesting discussions during the COVID period. This thing about mateship or supporting each other or we stick together, is it really true? You know, what is? And I think Australia at the moment, actually, interestingly, I think has something of a cultural identity crisis. But I don't want to have – I mean, I think it's impossible but, for 26 million people to have the same identity. Right. So I'm glad you raised that. If you look at Australia as a continent – around the particular place. The fact that, uh, you know, the majority of us just and our institutions are of some Anglo-Saxon kind of heritage in a particular way, that doesn't make an identity. That doesn't make a social identity. Mm. You know, so usually the sort of identities I'm talking about are much more place-based, smaller groups of people, but yeah. groups of people that are where you're attached to. And I mean, obviously Indigenous people have a very strong sense of the land and the, its characteristics, the physical characteristics mm. of the place and of the mob and who the group of people are. It's not everybody. It never it never pretended to be everybody who happened to be on the continent of Australia. <laughs> mm. But people do have this wider kind of sense. When people don't have that, and you see this in, in refugee and migrant experiences and groups that move, they very strongly have a sense of alienation associated with that. Yeah. It's not that easy to put down roots in new places and the cultural traditions that run with that and the uh, rituals and things that are done as you move across different cultures in different places that – have that sense that you're, you know, you're part of something that's transgenerational. It's part of something that goes on in particular ways. We all die. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we all die. I haven't right? noticed it yet, but I guess <laughs> I will at some point. <laughs> and that sense of, well, where did I come from and where do I go and where do I fit in, yeah. you know, isn't just me and my own family in one very time-limited kind of sense, this sort of connectedness across time. Mm. But it is not. I mean, the, the myth of Australia as this sort of 1960s suburban place where a fair go and a Holden car, you know, yeah. went to the beach and we all had a great holiday. You know, that that is a really, unfor I think, unfortunate myth. It's not really what this sort of identity It's almost is about. like, I mean, if you come from, a, I don't know, like I, I, my ancestors are Irish, Catholic, and there's, you know, literally millions of them in Australia. It's almost too big to have an identity. If I made another... 
you know, white Anglo-Saxon Irish, Irish Catholic, I don't think, brother, I think, you know, oh, yeah, it's millions of you. But if you're a smaller, more distinct group, if I'd come to Australia from Rwanda and I met another, I was walking around and all these white faces and I met another Rwandan, there would be that. And, you know, when you're overseas and you meet another Australian, you think, oh, we've got something in common. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, see, I think this is really interesting. Uh, a few years back, I took myself, my kids, my family, went to the west coast of Ireland, where we we're from. Right. To the parish where you can find 108 hickeys wow. <laughs> in the book. Of, I think it was 1918. I forget. I forget the side of my kids, right? 1989. My dad went to an O'Loughlin clan right. reunion in Ireland. Right. And I'm in a um, service station having a very animated conversation, i.e. argument with a woman who's serving me. I wasn't really arguing, but she was arguing with me. And my kids broke into hilarious laughter. And they said, Dad, that's just like you arguing with your sister. <laughs> Like she was taking the piss out of you and you were reacting and whatever and they got the same expressions. Yeah. You talk the same way. You look mm. the same way. You know, I went, you know what? That's really interesting. That's really interesting. You know, never met this woman before in my life, but this happened a few times in this particular two-week period, of people who look like us, talk like us in a particular way, mm. in a way that we never had connected with in Australia in a particular way. Yeah, that's where my relatives come from. That's where mm. there's a particular thing. And make, instantly you can see that's really interesting. This is a small group across time to which we've essentially lost connection yeah. in a particular way and in, in a global kind of way. But in, but in truth, that's where my mob comes from. That's mm. what's, but it's been, it's been transported to a weird part of the world, <laughs> you know, with a completely different life for economic and social reasons like most other migrants. But it's interesting. I've thought about that a lot since, that in an identity sense, I – Regret not having connected them with that earlier. That is an important bit. There are certain characteristics of me and my world, uh, and if you'd ever met my Irish grandfather, you'd understand this, that uh, come from that part of a certain emotional way, a certain way of being, a certain approach to the world, whether I want to recognise it or not. Mm-hmm. As part of, and it's, uh, both, it's both comforting and somewhat confronting, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, you know, there's some continuity in that and there are challenges in that. Now, as you say, uh, we often – are more struck by this when we find ourselves more alien. We find ourselves somewhere else in the world and suddenly turns up with an Australian accent or somebody, yeah. you know, gets it, laughs at something. Have you ever been in an American crowd where no one laughs? And the other person who laughs turns out to be Australian. <laughs> yeah, right. Never tell a joke in an American audience. Mm. So for some people they do have access to that strong sense of collective identity, don't they? But lots of people don't and we have talked, haven't we, about the uh, prioritization of the nuclear family yeah. over other groups. Yeah. So on the identity question, I think there are two tasks. One is the one we were talking about largely to start with, the personal identity, largely within family, largely developmentally, largely caring relationships. I think the other is this sort of cultural or continuing identity, mm. which has been much harder in this myth of monocultural white Australia type stuff because there's really no identity at all. Yeah, It's a made-up one. And often I think a Coke and Pepsi one, not, a, not there's nothing deep about it, mm. really. But other groups that have come to Australia in the great sort of tradition of migration, cultural groups, who've tried to maintain their Italian, Vietnamese, Greek, you know, other heritages and language and cultural groups, that's really important, actually. <laughs> that's something that many of those groups and kids in the second and third generations of those kids actually benefit from. Exposure to different ways of being, different thinking is part of their identity. And helps to explain who they are, mm. you know, where they do fit in. So this is a kind of fitting in thing here. Where do you really fit in, yeah. in a way? Where do you really feel most at home? Where do you really feel safest, most connected? What best explains you? You've got to meet. You've got to meet your 
Irish or Vietnamese grandfather or something. And understand, you know, the stuff that just it's like you. Yeah. You know, it's been influenced by and there are shared experiences and backgrounds that are part of those traditions. And that I think is that is associated itself with good mental health. Yeah. A stronger sense of where that is. So I think it's hard for a so-called the so-called new part of Australia, <laughs> the Anglo-Saxon transported bit. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's not very old. And it, and mm. it's dislocated from its historic roots. Yeah, right. And, you know, we have the great advantage then of many migrant cultures. We obviously have the great advantage of the original indigenous culture, which we still don't adequately recognise. But we don't have a kind of more agreed, sustained thing. We have a constructed thing. (laughs) And some ideas around that. I think the mateship one's a really interesting one, the idea of volunteerism, the idea of being more egalitarian than many other societies. These are great ideas. Mm. But they've got to be real. (laughs) They've got to have some practical way that they influence the way that we behave. And now we have this thing, the great sort of American imperialism. Have we lost all that to the individualist culture, the the wealth kind of culture, mm. the, the celebrity culture in various ways? You know, is that something we want our kids to take on as a cultural identity? I doubt that most of us want it, <laughs> but that's what a lot of the exposure is to. Mm. I say this because I was a group with young executives recently where I was sort of arguing these what I think very, seemed very old-worldy collectivist ideas. Right. <laughs> they thought I was from a, not only another century but the century before that, you know. Well, there, I mean, there is a tradition – sorry, a transition point in life when kids uh, leave school and every kid by year 12 probably has a strong identity. You know, like every other person in their year can describe them in five five words – She's really smart. The yearbook, once. the year 12 yearbook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have, rightly yeah. or wrongly, you, you, have an, I, yeah. you have an you identity. Got one. That's a really smart kid who loves drama. That's the kid who's who's uh, very good at netball and also woodwork and has a good sense of humour, whatever it is. And that identity can be uh, can be comforting, but it can also be a prison. You know, that can be how oh, everyone- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fixed. So, so yeah. then they go out into a un- more unstructured world and they've got the opportunity, if you like, to take that with them or to start again, which can be exciting but also confronting and scary. It's kind of a I, – I would imagine in terms of identity, that's a pretty pivotal time after yeah, you leave school. school yes. Or, or probably leave any institution, leave job, leave university, leave a, 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 a career you've been in for a while. In our society, that post-school – Take down the scaffolding. You're on your own, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> now. Good luck. Go out there in the world, job, post-school education, that sort of, let's just say, 18 to 30 type period, you know, hugely important hmm. in terms of where identity goes. I mean, I must say I, I find it fascinating. I try to avoid it mostly. Looking back at sort of people I left school with or, or oh, more, directly, fascinating. more directly for me now, people I left medical school with and see where they went, you know, yeah. what became of them. It's fascinating. I agree. Those, there were some, of course- who were going to be fabulously successful and weren't. <laughs> and there were some quiet achievers who'd gone a long way. You know, it's kind of really interesting. It is. And I think it comes to your point about those that have, I think I appreciate as being more successful, more authentic, you know, more valuable. They did try different things. They did develop. They didn't stop at that 18 or some 20s. Yeah. Or they didn't stop at that point and go, well, that's all there is. Or I've so succeeded now, <laughs> no more, no more work to be done. Yeah, <laughs> society will reward me for being <laughs> whatever I am, you know. So I think that the those have been continuously 
challenged and continuously challenged themselves to try and be better, you know, to try and take opportunity, explore different areas. Their identities continue to develop, to flourish, to use that kind of terminology, versus those who become a bit fixed and a bit shallow and a bit um, less successful. <laughs> less attractive. I can say, I don't know if they're less successful. To me, they're less attractive. So if that, if that was unpredictable at school, what are the differences between those two groups? Well, I think the difference – Like what determines whether you're going to be someone whose identity evolves or if you get stuck? Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because we were being a bit critical earlier on of introspection, but I don't really mean to be critical of introspection. I actually think the ones who've been more successful were actually more introspective. Yeah, yeah. They were more I, constantly reconciling. What am I doing? Am I enjoying it? Yeah. Is there a better way? And what the world was saying. They were yeah. more sensitive – I like sensitive people. Mm, I know. They were more sensitive to what the world was feeding back right. at an earlier age as to what more what more is to be done. <laughs> yeah. You're not there yet, buddy. You know, what more is to be done, you know, mm. on this journey uh, to being uh, a more developed, more capable, you know, more valuable kind of person. Mm. So uh, if, I, if I said there was a personal characteristic of that group, I'd say it was introspection. Serious introspection. They yeah, they, right. they actually had that capacity. Their identity was open. <laughs> so, so possibly the takeout from today in one or two sentences is do be introspective, do audit your identity, do think about who you are and what you do and how you want to change. But on the other hand, be wary of getting into a negative feedback loop. Oh, I failed at that, therefore my identity is a failure, ignoring evidence that disputes that. Um, and kind of pulling yourself down. Yeah, I think we've raised two things, actually. One's the development, and I'm trying to say there's the personal and intimate environment of families, but there's also the sociocultural. Mm. Give your kids a strong sense of where they come from and where they go as part of the wider social group, not just the family, and building that over time. Both of those, I think, means being more, more open to external feedback about what's happening, a better match. Yeah. You know, we were emphasising that match thing earlier on. We all do have different characteristics. And it's the match between that and opportunity mm. <laughs> uh, over time that's not then distorted by illness or not distorted by, you know, um, bad feedback, bad inputs into particular kinds of worlds. So I think, you know, this development of a rich identity should be <laughs> a really important task. That's really what it's about. And I, I, don't, think, I don't think enough actually emphasis is put on that. We, we talk about a lot of other cognitive and physical characteristics and whatever else. But a really good, stable, you know, dynamic identity should be a really productive goal. There you go. Um, if you've got any questions, comments, if you'd like to suggest further topics for us, please get in touch. Send us an email at mindingyourmind2, that's mindingyourmindnumeral2 at gmail.com. And Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health and further help is available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them or you can call Lifeline on 13114.